Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome director Ava Kianovic, director of Hedgehog's Home. Good morning, everyone. Well, I mean, I say that you could be listening to this at any time of the day, but let's consider it morning. Because let's face facts, the day hasn't truly begun before you've heard a new Squiggly podcast, has it? Not really, no. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Steve Henderson of uh, the brand new Swish, new look Squiggly. Or Squiggly, whatever the f***ing thing is called. <laughs> We've had a makeover. Which, if you've checked out the site in the last week or so, has been given a bit of an overhaul. Absolutely. We've kept the same silly name, but we've, we've <laughs> yeah. given the... Uh, the site of liquor paint. Every opportunity we get to change it from Marathon to Snickers, we always forget. <laughs> ah, bulls. Oh, well. Squiggly it is for another five years. <laughs> Lumbered as we are with this uh, <laughs> ridiculous name that sounds like a sneeze that no one can spell or say. Uh, but, yeah, I say we've given it liquor paint, Ben. I think we need to heap praise on uh, Squiggly's silent partner, uh, Mr. Aaron Wood, the man who will not turn up to our podcasts or live episodes and uh, and allow us to heap praise on him. No one's ever actually seen him in person. Yeah. He's quite the dark he's horse. Like, he's like our Stig, isn't he? If you, if you like uh, <laughs> ridiculous shows. Uh, Instead of driving fast, he makes websites. Yeah. <laughs> and he responds promptly whenever I'm like, Aaron, the website's not working, make it work. And then within... <laughs> 20 minutes, it's up and running again. Man is a web guru. Aaron, I know you've shown me 15 times how to do a poll, but can you do a poll for me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For all the good stuff he's been doing for us, it would be hard to outdo himself, but I I would say he definitely has. It looks pretty damn good. Yeah, he makes the content sing. I've actually been enjoying just looking at it, just going through... You know, the layout of it and, uh, you know, all the little additional things mm. he's come up with. You can now, you know, browse through all the interviews alphabetically. That's pretty cool. That's good for research, isn't it? That's something I'd always wanted to have more kind of front and center is all of the people that we've talked to over the years. And then after a couple of years go by, it's kind of hard to, unless you're looking for it specifically in Google, there was never really a way to just kind of browse. Mm. And uh, f-ing how we've interviewed a lot of people. Oh, we've interviewed a lot of people like a few times because there are different formats. So if you look at if you look up Glen Keane, for instance, there's four of Glen Keane interviews, but there's two videos and uh, podcasts and things like that. I'm trying to find out who we've interviewed the most. It's probably going to be Peter Lord, isn't it? So yeah, take a look at the uh, on the on the new uh, bar at the top. Yeah, hover over interviews. You've got latest interviews. You've got A to Z interviews. Uh, and uh, yeah, revisit some favourites, or uh, you know, find some people that you've not never heard of before. And you can find out all about them in our uh, you know probing interviews, can't you, Ben? Mm-hmm. We probe like no one else. Yeah, we do. We get in pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, just sort of generally, I think it's a uh, much more sort of accessible mm-hmm. layout. But what is a website without animation coverage? And we've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. It's festival season once again, ladies and gentlemen. Annecy. Just around the corner. Have you produced a carefully curated list of what you want to see yet, Ben? Have you done your spreadsheet? I have to be honest, I I kind of have this general level of enthusiasm for most of the stuff that's on. Mm. In the past, it's been like 
there have been two or three things I really have to get to. And with this one, it's all good, but I'm not chomping at the bit for any ones in particular over any of the other ones. I think it's all pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, we were talking in the last Intimate Animation about some of Marco's programs dealing with eroticism in animation. So we'll swing by some of those, I'm sure. Yeah, you and, you and Laura Beth should do a couple of programs on erotic animation. Well, we have done. I, I know. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I remember, Ben. Oh, literal me. <laughs> we should do more, though. They were yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was right up your street when I saw that. Dirty animation, Ben, eh? Yeah, there's cartoon vaginas romping about. <laughs> I was trying to explain a uh, lovely film. It's like a sort of mini documentary film on the clitoris. The clitoris. I was trying to explain it to the, the people I carpool with. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure I, I sold it. <laughs> well, it's just, it's like a clitoris, but it's like adorable. <laughs> Sigmund Freud's the bad guy. You know, it's, because it, animation and nonfiction, you can't, you can do things that, uh, I'm panicking, losing friends. I'll just bail. <laughs> now you get the bus. So yeah, lots of fantasy stuff I'm I'm looking forward to, but I'm not going to be like pushing people over. To get to um, the usual things, I'm, I want to check out is what you know the NFB are up to, what Cartoon Network are up to. Those usually fun. Hopefully, we'll, we'll it won't be a washout, and we'll be able to do the rounders this year because last year the the rounders was washed out. Uh, oh, was it? The, yeah, well, um, there was so much rain that the field just basically turned to mud, uh, and everyone had their picnic uh, the 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 picnic that usually happens on a Saturday um, around the tree hmm. uh and so it was a little bit i washed out that or the year before they all blend into one because i spend most of the week uh drunk and or running around i remember it being pretty waterlogged yeah it was definitely last year i i, I suggested a mud wrestling match but no one was keen they did a pedalo race yeah you can't be too wet uh for a pedalo race no yeah i'm pretty sure we'll be uh we'll be milling around there so if you see uh, myself and ben in captain pub or Cafe Desart or wherever, come and say hello. And if not, we'll probably see you for a live podcast sometime along the week, Ben. I expect so, yes. Oh, here's something I'm, I'm quite interested in, and I think we talked about this last time. Uh, they'll do some stuff on the breadwinner. Um, mm. That's one I, 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 I had marked down. Um, yes. It's been nice to see a bit more of that. I might try and swing by the VR stuff, because I, I queued last year and the queues are just ridiculous i had to kind of bail yeah so i'm gonna actually get to experience some of the new ones which would be fun uh some people like glenn keen gonna be there yeah robert valley all the old podcast guests are there uh, it's a squiggly podcast reunion i dare say it is a couple of weeks uh one of the officially selected films uh we'll be talking about this episode uh we'll be speaking to the director in a little bit it's called hedgehog's home it's also playing in zagreb this week uh if anyone's in croatia you might be able to catch it there. And I think uh, I think it's got some stuff lined up afterwards. I think it's going to be at Anima Mundi in July, I think it's happening. Which is weird, because the last Anima Mundi was in, like, November. So it's sort of mm. weird that they're doing it so soon after. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you know, doing the rounds. Um, premiered, I believe, at Berlinale, the Berlin International Film Festival. And uh, it's, it's a quite splendid little film. It's another NFB production, I think, in collaboration with Bonobo. I thought it was absolutely charming. There's, I don't mind saying there's a little bit of a trend for needle felting going around animation at the moment. I think when um, O'Willy came out, quite a few people saw it and thought, whoa, that looks 
pretty amazing. Fuzzy. Fuzzy and lovely. And then you had Edmund, uh, and now we've got Hedgehog's Home. But I've yet to see a poorly done needle-felting stop-motion film, which is reassuring. I, I think Edmund really got a bit of a rough ride. It pulled through in the end. It did brilliantly. But there was an initial bit of backlash because it was, like, the second one mm. to do it. Like, and, and be sort of prominent. I'm sure there have been more than two oh, yeah. at that point. But as far as, like, you know, doing the rounds and stuff, there was a lot of people who would just kind of look at it and superficially assess, oh, it's just doing the same thing O'Willie did. It was like, well, you watch them both. They're two wildly different films. Yeah. Except for, like, there's one shot that's, I think, almost like a nod to O'Willie. It's like the shot of the, the cliff and the sun coming behind it, and that's almost, like, identical. Mm. But I always assumed that was actually kind of a sort of hat tip. And this film, you know, equally is different. It's more of a children's fable. It's an adaptation of a very popular children's book. I'm not sure if it was that big in England. Um, it's by Branko Chopik. I would say you've certainly done a very good job making it a nice little film. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's a, it's a bit Gruffalo-y, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a sort of Gruffalo sort of Sylvanian families. Well, yeah, uh, Fantastic Mr. Foxy kind of. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to um, it. And it's it's not a, I mean, you, you say it's from a, a, kid's, uh, a kid's book. I didn't watch a kid's film. I watched a film that I really enjoyed. I watched a film that's got that kind of uh, something for everything about it. I love the music. It sounded like a Western in places. It was really, yeah. really nicely done. It's, um, yeah, she'll talk a little bit about that uh, that side of things. The, the it's interesting like the tone of it it's because a kid could happily watch it i think but as an adult when you have more of a kind of awareness of like subtext and things like that there are moments that are actually a bit like unsettling <laughs> and it's because i was talking with uh, one of the coordinators about like working out coverage for intimate animation specifically and so she was going through a, a bunch of upcoming films uh, including nfb films uh, some of which are sort of, you know, explicitly about love and sex and relationships. And then she's like, there's also this film we got called Hedgehog's Home. It's not really about love or sex, but there's definitely like sexual tension between the two characters. <laughs> I'm like, really? So, yeah, and there's kind of like a food orgy. I'm not sure if that would be applicable. <laughs> like, hmm. So maybe one for the regular podcast. Um, then, uh, But I, I, watching it then, I immediately understood what she meant. Yeah. There's a they're having this dinner and there's so much bizarre sensuality to it. A very hard to determine relationship between this hedgehog and this fox, like what the nature of the friendship is, and it, it all plays out to be, you know, fairly innocent. And but there's just something in the in the atmosphere. There's something in the air that feels like what's what's going on here. The fox you know? really doesn't want hedgehog to leave. And one thing I, I'll credit that to. I've I've only seen the English version. Uh, I think the guy who did the voice was tremendous. Mm. He plays all the characters. And this is sort of interesting. I don't know. Last time we, I saw you, we were in Cardiff, and you were telling me that you were working your way through Twin Peaks. Yes. Did you ever make it to the end? Uh, no, we're still trying to get through it. It's it's uh, it's interesting. There's a character that comes in right near the end, who they probably started talking about, uh, and he's basically the main character's ex-FBI partner who's gone nuts. Yes. Uh, He's the guy who, in this film, is doing all the voices. Right. And he has such an amazing build-up in the show. And there was also a book that was a really nicely written, quite funny book about Agent Cooper's, like, history and how he sort of gets to 
Twin Peaks and they build this character up like this real Hannibal Lecter type multifaceted evil villain and he shows up and it's such a fucking letdown <laughs> and I but the weird thing is I always liked the actor like I always could tell he he was always very endearing but the writers when David Lynch wasn't around they were always trying to be trying to capture this certain thing that worked for the first few episodes of the show and each time the more they would try the more they would fail and i guess that's just the nature of tv sometimes and um so that was such a a, a letdown to see him because he shows up and he's basically a panto villain and it was a shame because in the last episode of twin peaks david lynch comes back in and he directed that actor playing that character and all of a sudden he's fucking terrifying and he's brilliant, and it's that was the character he was always meant to be. And we had to watch ten episodes of him being a f***ing goof about. <laughs> Weirdly, though, all of the things that don't work about his performance in that show work really well in this film. Because he does have a very good capacity for capturing different sort of personalities. And I, I think at one point I did consciously think he'd be great in animation, like doing as a, as a voiceover artist, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting, like, when I saw his name pop up at the end of the credits, oh, that that makes sense. Because I always kind of figured, you know, he would take to something like this rather well. Uh, his name's Ken Welsh, by the way. And uh, and I'd see him in other things occasionally. He'd show up in stuff like The X-Files. And he, he always would be quite good as an actor. He could be quite understated at times. Um, but that was sort of a, an interesting example of how a character or a concept for a character can be just horribly mishandled. Uh, so I take it also that you haven't watched any new Twin Peaks. No, 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 India. Okay, because when we, if you get to that, we have to talk about the animation in the new Twin Peaks. Right. Okay. <laughs> it is wondrous. Right. It's, it's made me so happy. Oh really? But we'll get we'll get to that another day. <laughs> it's made you happier than the animation in uh, what was it you were talking about in the last podcast? Uh, you seen the uh, Don Hertzfeld inspired animation in something? Yeah, no, this, no, this genuinely, I was just grinning from ear to ear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's like VFX essentially with animated elements as well, and there's a character that's a CG animated character. It's just so David Lynch. And all, all I'll say is this, and we'll maybe get back to it another day. David Lynch and me fell in love with After Effects, I think, around the same time, about fifteen years ago. Mm. I can safely say I've probably put more effort into learning more about how to use After Effects right. in the intervening 15 years. But I'm sure it's all deliberate because it wouldn't be him actually doing the effects on this show. He'd have to have a team of people doing it. Yeah, it's been directed. Yeah. but And the people who would do I looked it up. It's like the people who did the effects for The Matrix. Like They, they know their chips. So it looks the way it does deliberately. It's just something to behold. I'll play catch-up after Annecy. So, yes. Um, so, Ken Welch is in this film. He's great. I, I've not yet seen uh, the original language version. Well, I think there are, like, three or four language versions. At least three. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there'll be a French one, because NFB always has a French-Canadian version. And I guess one in the original language of the... Yes, uh, Croatian, French, and English. Cool. Before we crack on with talking to Eva Kivanovic, uh, there was something else that you had flagged that uh, we should chat about, because I've not seen this yet. But in the world of foreign CG animation, there's a bit of unrest. Well, it's fair to say a bit of unrest, yeah. Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves, a Korean uh, film, has um, released its trailer. And it's a parody fairy tale, because, you know, the world can't get enough of those, Ben. (laughs) Uh, 
but uh, it would appear that whenever Red Shoes takes her shoes off, she becomes fat. Aha. Uh-huh. Hmm. Sorry to spoil it for you, but uh, <laughs> maybe you should uh, take a little look at the trailer. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen like the Subway poster, which sort of was the thing that went up on Twitter mm. viral, and these terrifying, like, totemic-looking... Are they meant to be the dwarfs, these Teletubby things? I don't know. No, they they look absolutely horrifying. They're not in the trailer. The trailer basically uh, features two creepy dwarfs uh, who come from a parallel dimension. We're not talking about Twin Peaks anymore, are we? Mm-hmm. And they watch this woman get undressed. And one of them's holding the other one back from sort of really going for it when she starts taking her clothes off. It's a weird watch. I'm going to punch up the trailer because this is getting me all hot under the collar. <laughs> Lucas Animation. Ah, okay, so this is the scene. It's them. It's, yeah, it's not much of a trailer. It is just basically a scene of two perverted uh, gotcha. dwarves watching a woman undress. Yeah. Well, there's no ambiguity about it. They really, really want to see this cartoon character's breasts. Yeah. There's one is like in a froth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he nudges his mate. Oh, yeah. Oh, get a load of that, eh? <laughs> Whee! Well, now they're wrestling each other under the table, trying to get a better view. Ooh. And it's all gone shallow how. The shoe <laughs> comes off and her th- th- calves have swelled in size. And they're appalled. My goodness. She's all zaftig and curvaceous. Uh, now I can breathe. That's well, not what Hollywood wants. <laughs> so I guess the trailer, out of context, or the teaser posters, allegedly misrepresent the spirit of the film, as uh, young Chloe Moretz is vehemently opposed to them, she well, being one she, of the voice actors. She read the script. I mean, <laughs> what... Which is why I think I guess she must have some kind of point. Like maybe they they are really misrepresenting. Yeah. But like, it would be it would be a bit sort of hypocritical of like yeah it, this was actually what the film is about, and yeah. she because someone on Twitter said it's bad. She's like yeah I I think it's bullshit too. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> but there was an interesting tweet she put up. It was like I just want everyone to know I've I fully reviewed the marketing for this film. Uh, I'm just as appalled as all of you. My team didn't approve any of this. Why the f*** would they? Yeah. What does your team have to do with anything? Is she an investor in the film? I, <laughs> maybe she is. Maybe she's a producer of it. I don't know. Does she have any like association beyond just being a voice actor? I wouldn't imagine so. I mean, if she doesn't understand, if she's not read the script, apart from the bits that she went and, and read out. I mean, well, did she just go into the... You've seen the, the clip in The Simpsons where Krusty goes into the studio and reads out his script and then just leaves really quickly oh, yeah. <laughs> while, while they're changing the reel so they can record him. It, it must, and we're ready to go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it must have just been that. I, I, I don't know how she could have had any additional involvement other than, you know, maybe she was faxed the lines that she had to say and maybe they had sad or happy written above them so she knew how she was mm. supposed to read them it uh, would be a pretty shitty bait and switch of like yeah it's going to be a film about like um the hypocrisy of body shaming and all that stuff and then the actual film was just making fun of being overweight the other thing i mean i i, I feel i feel quite bad that we're giving it publicity when we're about to go to annecy and there are there's 
a whole list of features, which some will be good, some will be bad, but they're not getting the publicity. Yeah, they don't have the girl from Kick-Ass in it. Yeah, somebody makes a film that looks pretty bad, and it gets all the publicity in the world. So I think that we might be approaching this a little, a little bit wrong. Uh, I mean, Ooh, it, it, have you seen the trailer for the Emoji movie? I, I have seen the trailer <laughs> for the Emoji movie, Ben. <laughs> now, Let's talk about that for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well... I, I, can't even, I actually can't even have a sense of humor about that. Mm. Maybe it'll be brilliant, who knows? You know, you know what, I've given... I have avoided the Emoji movie issues because... Yeah, we are talking about it, Ben. Because <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Hose law, I think this is called. <laughs> In action. Say what you like about it, and I'm sure we will. Uh, but it is what it is what people have been asking for for a long while. It's a film that's not an adaptation. It's not a fairy tale. It's not. It, it's a. It's an original piece of work. Okay, so it might be based on something that no one in their right mind would want to make a film about. But it's still what people have been clawing for from animated features for years. How many times have people seen, like, car sequels and people going, oh, God, another film about talking cars? Or, like, you know, when Planes came out, all the fuss that was made about that. You know, oh, there's no original ideas in Hollywood. Brave comes out. Oh, it's another princess film. Oh, we're sick of princess films. All these sort of CG films are coming out. I mean, they made Megamind and Despicable Me at the same time. And people were like, oh, they're just making films about bad guys now. And it's every single film's got to have a minion in it. But people love the minions. But people don't like these little yellow characters running around and spouting off catchphrases. What What the f*** do you want? What do you want? <laughs> here's, here's what I would contest about that point. And I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that's a very applicable way of looking at films like, for example, The Red Turtle, Mm. or My Life as a Courgette, even, though it's adapted from a book. It's not a particularly well-known book here, I don't think. And it's a, you know, it's a lovely story. Um, There there are definitely... Anomalisa. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely enough films coming out that are original ideas that perhaps aren't getting as much attention as they should for all the the crappy derivative films like Pixar sequels, like lazy satire as you would get in something like Sausage Party, yeah, uh, like another film about you know animals singing. I think that the fact that the, this film, whatever its premise is, it is it is kind of an adaptation because it's it, as you say, it is based on something that is a big part of current sort of culture, and you would cite it, I think, with reason as one of the more sort of artistically barren elements of current culture. Oh, Like, emojis yeah. is, is, you know, they're all established. They're all... It just seems to me to be a sort of comparable modern equivalent of a company looking at a toy line and thinking, how do we make a movie out of this? Mm. It's, you know, how do we... We're looking at a row of icons and thinking, how do we... How do we... What characteristics will we imbue to make these marketable. And I, I'm sure they will now sell, uh, as they do already. They, You know, I've seen little plushy smiling poops. You know, they filled that void already. But I'm sure that we've got an onslaught of emoji toys coming our way. Yeah, uh, sticker fat packs on Facebook are a big seller at the moment. That's a thing that you want to sell if you've got 
uh, a cartoon or, or you know an animation or, or some sort of character series. Sticker packs on Facebook are apparently big money, and you're basically paying money to promote a film. That's it's a ridiculous uh, premise. Yeah, you 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 know you're absolutely right there, Ben. You know, but the thing that gets me is the fury of it. The fury of people looking at the Emoji Movie and really saying it's terrible for all these reasons yet there's a counter argument to every single one of them and in why 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 watch the emoji movie when the red turtle is in cinemas now when my life as a courgette is in cinemas now when you can go to annecy next week and see all these you know superb films and i understand that it's not easy to see to get to annecy if you can't afford it or if you can't take time off work and all that kind of stuff but a few of these films will end up in cinemas. A few of these films have been in cinemas already. Ethel and Ern has been one of them. So there is great animation being made, but you have to make the effort to go and see it. I guess that's that's the difference. I just haven't seen that fury in my little bubble of late. I, I've, I've only seen the briefest of passing mentions of this film's existence. Going back to my thing, you can do a film about a toy line well enough if you look at the Lego movies, I think. The the theatrical Lego movies, at least. I haven't seen the, the other stuff. You know, if there is a solid enough idea and an actual mature sense of self-awareness and know... Like, the, what, the great thing about the Lego movies is they were saying, we know we're a brand. We know that this is a big advert for our product. We're just going to make this advert as entertaining as we can. Mm. And we're going to try and actually write some proper jokes and, you know, come up with some actually visually interesting ideas and really take advantage of what our product can do and what our product's known for and what our product evokes in people who grew up with it and are now adults and don't mind that it's, a, you know, a big multinational corporation mm-hmm. are at peace with that. Just makes an, an something nice and entertaining. And I think the reason I also really liked the Batman Lego movie was they took that approach to not just Lego, but the brand of Batman. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of wonderful stuff in there about like how ridiculously all over the map, the Batman premises. Yeah. Like there was a lovely scene where he's like going through like all his adventures and it's like these little Lego incarnations of all the Batman films in reverse order. Yeah. I think when there's enough of that real care and consideration that kind of shines through rather than he's a hot dog. She's a bun. Guess where this is going, folks? Strap in. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we, we not, obviously that's not in the Lego movie. That's Sausage Party. For those that might be confused. <laughs> um, Director's cut. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, you, you, perfectly uh, valid point there. But I think the, the thing about the Emoji movie might be as well, uh, something that Wreck-It Ralph had, something that the Lego movie had, was nostalgia. I think that the Emoji movie does not have that nostalgia to it. It just no. It's just an annoying thing that kids do to each other nowadays, send each other emojis, and people our age don't... I don't send emojis. Do you send emojis? I, I don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I guess I sort of worked it out once, but it's like I have to hold down one thing like a little longer than the other things, and yeah. I can type out, like, the, the old school ones, like, uh, colon bracket. Ah, it's now a little face. <laughs> Coding, Ben. That's what you're doing. Um, I, I don't know where to start if I want to make a little smiling poo. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't want to imagine. Um, Metamucil, perhaps. 
<laughs> but um, I think the other problem may well be, as you said there, that uh, through the Lego movie trailers, through the Wreck-It Ralph trailers, we were given this picture of what the film could be uh, and what the film was. And you were this, this kind of warm blanket of, oh, I remember Lego. Oh, I remember video games. All this kind of stuff. And there's not quite that from the Emoji movie trailers. It's like a little bit of ridiculous stand-up or you know gags and all that kind of stuff, which we don't feel that attached to because we don't use emojis, you know, so our generation might be a little bit left out. Uh, the, the, you know, perhaps the generation between whatever. But I think that might be down to also to the way that Sony produced their trailers because they've recently released a Spider-Man trailer as well, which is apparently part of the Marvel Universe. I know you love your, your Marvel comic book films, Ben. Uh, I have an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of that world. <laughs> One of them's, I guess, a spider type of a man. Yeah, yeah, except he's a teenager. But <laughs> but um, what they've done is they've released a trailer. Uh, and the Marvel, Marvel trailers are usually a, a right laugh. The, the trailer for Thor Ragnarok is just fun. But the Spider-Man trailer, they've got the, the world's most marketable superhero. And yet they produce this trailer which looks beat for beat like the entire story. I don't think Sony know how to make trailers. I'm pretty certain of that. Uh, and it's got people in a, in a in a bit of a fuss. And I think that might be a problem with the Emoji movie is it's just not been... It's, there's no hope for it, basically. <laughs> what a tragedy. I'm glad we didn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will, for now, abstain from watching the trailer. Yeah. Um, and apologies to uh, to our guest for this episode. That we that the lead into talking about her film is talking about the Talking Poop movie. It was weird because we were talking about a good film and then all of a sudden we went way off course. <laughs> <laughs> At least we covered the entire spectrum of animation, which is good. Exactly. So br- bringing it round to the other end, uh, a little bit more about Hedgehog's Home. I have some information here about it. So d- if you've not yet encountered it, you can find trailers. And there's a little um, quite nicely made and edited making of. It's one of those sort of nicer making of where it's a more of a kind of montage thing rather than everything kind of like spelled out you know it feels like its own little film which i always quite like this modern tale is entrenched in folk tradition but transcends specific cultures eras and generations by focusing on the essence of home uh that was definitely a take-home i got from it is that it didn't feel like you know a film about the country that it came from it felt like it felt very universal mm you know, where we call our home and what its significance is to us. And, um, you know, putting aside the kind of superficial values of what the best kind of way to be perceived as living is and just finding what actually makes you happy in yourself. It's why I don't have a PS4. I keep thinking to myself, it would really, really complete the living room. But mm, when would I play it? Yeah. Or rather, when would you get on with work if you've got a PlayStation 4? That would be basically, yeah. There'd yeah. be no more films from Ben Mitchell. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's going to prompt someone to donate a PS4. Please stop making them. <laughs> They're so annoying. You're making ransom demands now. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> synopsis. In a lush and lively forest lives a hedgehog. He's at once admired, respected, and envied by the other animals. However, hedgehog's unwavering devotion to his home annoys and mystifies a quartet of insatiable beasts. A cunning fox, an angry wolf, a gluttonous bear, and a muddy boar. Together, the haughty brutes march off towards Hedgehog's home to see just what's so precious about this castle, shiny and huge, 
and what they find amazes them and sparks a tense and prickly standoff. So with the scene suitably set, let's hear from director Ava Kianovic. Hedgehog's Home, being animated in stop motion, quite different from the preceding films. Had you worked in stop motion much at all beforehand? Well, I tried it in school, so I tried to make, you know, ball socket. Um, we had a really great professor who now he runs uh, the Stop Motion Film Festival in Montreal, Eric Goulet. Um, so that's when I tried it, but I haven't touched it since. And um, the reason I chose stop motion for this story, because it's a, a pre-existing story that's very well known and the illustrations in it are really gorgeous. Um, and very iconic for us, and I, I wanted to force myself to not copy them in a way. Mm. And by doing it in stop motion, that was already a step away from them. Mm. And also, it was it was really something I enjoy doing, but I'm a bit heavy-handed, and, uh, and I feel to be a good stop motion animator, you really need to be, you know, into the precision, and you need to be a bit obsessive about it. And so we chose to work with uh, two really great animators. One of them is the British Thomas Johnson and his wife, Ivana Bosniak, who both live in Croatia now. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah. did, you did do some of the animation. Is that- uh, I, I did very little animation. Mm-hmm. I was there every second of the shoot. I was kind of guiding the performances. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did some cleanup in the end. I did, I did more like computer-based things. Right. Stuff. I did, I made the puppets. Right. So we we ordered the armatures from Poland, and then I I did the puppets. Yeah. Hmm. One thing that definitely does shine through, and it sort of goes back to what you were saying about embracing more kind of intimate little details, is that sort of subtle. There's a very strong grasp of nuanced character animation, which yeah. And I, I actually don't have a lot of hands-on experience with stop motion, but I find it yeah. quite intimidating because it's sort of, especially when it comes to things that demand that degree of subtlety. Yeah. Is that something that has to be considered when you're making the puppet, like just how rigged it is? Because it seems like it would be very hard to get that kind of performance out of those kinds of puppets in a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was consulting even and Thomas through every step of making the puppets. Mm-hmm. They were there, and I made sure that all the facial expressions that we were thinking about could be animated. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that really helped, of course, they're really great animators, and they were very patient with me and pushed it, pushed the puppets, like, you know, out of out of this kind of like cartoony zone and into something a bit more naturalistic. Mm. Um, but also, I think working with the um, needle felted wool, the fact that the face is wool and the fact that we could animate the wool with a needle mm. as well as, you know, moving the wire armature that's underneath. But I think a lot of the details, a lot of the subtlety, it was actually felting mm. all the little expressions. Yeah. And the other thing that the the felt really sells is that how it reads very effectively as other materials when in motion. So you get that sort of fluid materials and things that are very sensate sequences, like when they're eating. Yeah. But that must have been quite tricky to pull off, like getting the... Did you sort of study how materials behaved and try and replicate it in felt, or was it more like trial and error, or...? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was a night... It was a fun challenge, actually. Mm. We, we, um... Tim Allen was a consultant on the film, so we were asking him what we should do for the liquids and and things like that. And I kept having this idea of, like, Vaseline and wool. Mm. (laughs) 
And uh, at first, you know, the animators were a bit skeptic about it, but I was like, let's try it. It takes a second. And so we drowned this red wool in, in Vaseline and added a bit of actual wine for mm. coloring. And it turned out great. So it was it was kind of this like paste that was made with that. But it, yeah, a lot of it was just like, you know, like a lot of animation is trial and error and, and trying to find materials that, that translate well on camera. It was it was those were the fun challenges hmm. I think. Did you know Tim before? No, Ivana Ivana and Thomas knew him. I think Ivana had organized a festival either in um Norway when she was there or something in Croatia. I couldn't tell you exactly, but Tim was one of the guests and hmm. that's how they became friends. Yeah. No, he's uh, he's he's everywhere. Yeah. Like he's <laughs> he's been involved in like all the sort of major Yeah, he's a big um, guy. And he goes all over the world. He's uh got quite a work ethic Tim. yeah yeah he's got he's got a a wonderful work ethic and he's got a lot of neat tricks up his sleeve mm. so uh, i did see on your vimeo that for like older projects like 2d work you'd used reference footage for like facial expressions and things like that yeah. is that something you still do yeah i do i do use reference footage and i make i also well, in the past few years, I learned like very basic 3D animation. And for 2D, I like mm-hmm. kind of using 3D references, which we also did for the stop motion project. I built a lot of the sets in 3D to make sure that they made sense before we actually went to build them in real life. So, yeah, I think it helps a lot and it saves you time in the end. I, I never really do rotoscoping like all the way. I prefer to just use references for keyframes if I'm having trouble, and then, you know, work like that. Going into, like, the story itself, as it plays out in the film, uh, the relationship between the fox and the hedgehog is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's quite brief, but it seems very charged. And I know there's a certain... Maybe I'm projecting, but it seems like there was a certain tension to it. Was that something that was sort of from the original book, or did that kind of just come through making the film? Yeah, I mean, it is. The the writer who wrote the original book, he's a very well-known writer for mostly children in from from Yugoslavia, but he was, um, there was always more to his stories than just the, the kids' uh, side of things. And, and then when I read the book as a, a grown-up, I realized, oh, there's all this kind of ambiguous things happening between the fox and the hedgehog does she want to eat him is she does she want to be friends there's people there's a lot of you know grown-ups who push it towards like a more uh seduction thing um and we wanted to like i wanted to suggest all these things but not really push for any specific direction yeah and i think the ambiguity is very interesting that's what what keeps you you know once the ambiguity is is gone, then it's not, it's not as, uh, you kind of lose interest. Right. So I think we wanted to leave it at that. Certainly you get the impression that the Fox's reason for pursuing the hedgehog is quite different than the others. Yes. Like they have a different agenda. Yes. So that, that definitely seemed to come through. Yeah. From the description, I guess the intent wasn't necessarily to evoke a specific culture, but rather kind of an amalgam. And, Aside from, because you mentioned, like, you wanted to kind of distance a little bit from the original style of the book, but were there any specific sort of influences on the overall style and feel of the film 
Well, I just wanted to go a bit more animal, mm -hmm. like more into the real animal world than in the book. The characters are dressed in clothes, mm -hmm. like uh, the fox has a dress and the hedgehog has these cool little shoes and like Michael Jackson uh, socks. And we kept the hat because that's really that's first of all, that's in the poem and it's it, it makes him into this like more gentleman kind of character. But I couldn't say like a direct inspiration. Definitely the choice of wool was we wanted a bit of folklore, which is also in the original illustrations. Like we wanted this feeling of warmth and, and, and a slight like folklore feel that goes with these types of, you know, tales, uh, like old tales. And our references were just images of animals and the forest. We just kind of looked for ways to translate the wool and to use the wool in the most of ways that we could. So, yeah, I couldn't really, you know, there's a lot of these, I could say Fantastic Mr. Fox, I could say all these, you know, The Wind and the Willows, all these animated stop motion films that use animals, but really all of them, the references are the animal world, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think I just kind of went into, I tried to go as deep into my head as I could and then come up with something. One of the, uh, the nice sort of juxtapositions I like that kind of, I guess, affects the cultural identity of the film, maybe there's this almost spaghetti Western soundtrack mm -hmm. that kind of adds this Americana into the mix as well. Was that something you always had in mind for the film? Yes, yes. <laughs> the Hedgehog okay. was like this lone cowboy character for me. And that's one thing I, I, I added. And the, um, the musician who made the music, he's actually quite a famous Croatian rock star. And he had a, a great band in the 80s, and he's still active with a band. He lives between uh, Paris and Croatia. His name is Darko Rundek. Mm -hmm. And he's got a great storytelling sensibility in all of his music, so we wanted... Um, him for those reasons, and I also, whenever I had interactions with him, you know, of course, music-wise, Ennio Morricone was a huge inspiration, and mm. that's what I really, really, really pushed for, and I think it works out good. I think I think it worked out pretty good, yeah. Was the film produced originally in English, or I know that they usually make two versions with the NFB, mm -hmm. but was the original version in French or English, would you say? Um, well, what we shot to was actually Croatian, because that's the original oh, okay. uh, several Croatian. So, um, but we had recorded the Radish Arbejia, the the Croatian actor. We recorded him in English and in Croatian because the translation was already done by before we started shooting. So we had both versions at all times when we were shooting. So those were the two. Um, but we decided to base ourselves mostly on the original because just the rhythm you know we tried to follow the same rhythm with the english but sometimes it was impossible translations are quite tricky mm. and the poem has a very very specific rhythm like so the original was serbo creation and then english and then french came last I see. Okay. yeah i could sort of pick up a little bit on that and I, I suspected perhaps the English wasn't the original. I do think it works very well. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me a while to place the English actor until the credits, but I thought he did a very good job with all the sort of characters. Do you know much of his other work as well? 
Well, I knew him for his uh, work in Twin Peaks. I don't know that much of his other work, but that was that was my reference. And uh, yeah, and he's a Canadian actor, so it was part of the choice. And also, my uh, my husband knows his son, so he was recommended by my husband. Yeah. Excellent. And once I heard his voice, I thought it would be perfect for the film. You know, it has this mm. slight darkness. Yeah. It has a he he often plays a lot of. I know he often plays a lot of uh, bad guys. Yeah, and I I like I like that about him. I like the idea of this, you know, guy who almost has like Dennis Hopper vibes. Him telling a children's story. Mm. Yeah, and, and we're we're really happy with the result. Super. Thanks to Ava Kianovic, director of Hedgehog's Home, that's playing this week at Zagreb Anima Fest today, the seventh of June, Thursday, and two screenings on Saturday. Visit animafest.hr for specifics. It's also in competition at Annecy next week in the Young Audiences section. The website there is annecy.org. It'll also play at Brazil's Anima Mundi in Rio and Sao Paulo in July. Exact times and dates to be specified, but their website is animamundi.com.br. And you can see more of Ava's work at furcafilms.com. Just one quick plug before I go. Uh, the Manchester Animation Festival is open and we are calling for entries uh, for our film competition. So if you've created a short film, a student film or a commissioned film, you can hand it in for free uh, on the website. Uh, the deadline for that is the 28th of July 2017. If you have created a commissioned film, you might want to take part in our Industry Excellence Awards, which is now in its second year. Uh, it's a part of the festival where we put on workshops uh, for writing, storyboarding, uh, character design, character animation, and those are the categories that we want entries for. So if you have done anything, uh, if you've written for a commissioned film, if you've done the storyboarding for a commissioned film, if you've done character design or character animation for a commissioned film, uh, the deadline is still the 28th of July 2017, and you can submit them for free, uh, either the Industry Excellence Awards or the film competition at manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. And the Manchester Animation Festival returns to home in Manchester on the 14th, 15th and 16th of November 2017. And we hope to see plenty of you there. Right now I'm at the aforementioned AnimaFest Zagreb, and if you're there and hearing this on the day the podcast comes out, Wednesday, June 7th, you might wish to swing by AnimaFest Pro book presentations at the French Media Institute, where I'll be talking about the squiggly tie-in book, Independent Animation, Developing, Producing, and Distributing Your Animated Films, alongside two wonderful writers, Maureen Furness and Simon Bogajevic narith talking about their work. It's listed as starting at 6pm, but most likely it'll be a bit later. Then on Friday, I'll be introducing the event Making Independent Animation Now, in which a panel of indie artists will be discussing production, residences, budgets, and distribution platforms as regards independent animation. That'll be 10.30 in the morning at the KIC. Both events are free, so please do check them out and say hello! Elsewhere, my film Clemen Throws Festival Antics aren't quite over yet. On June 18th, it'll be getting another screening in London as part of the Shortest Nights Festival, put together by the team at Short Sighted Cinema. The specific screening will be Outlands, taking place at 12 noon at the Yard Theatre in Hackney Wick. More info on that event is at shortsightedcinema.com. I won't be able to be there, as we'll still be at Annecy, but on that note, hopefully see you all at Annecy. 
In the meantime, hope you enjoy giving the lovely new look squiggly.com a thorough peruse. I've been Ben Mitchell at Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. Steve is at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. Squiggly is at Squiggly. Squiggly Magazine on Facebook. Squiggly Animation on Instagram. And Squiggly.com is the site itself. Until our next episode, happy animating. <laughs>